Yeah, we just uh, really adore our kids and uh, we want to pour everything into them. Uh, we, we do desire this to be a safe place, a place where they can have fun and a place where they can get excited about uh, Jesus in the process and have their friends. So whether someone's new to uh, church or you know new to the gospel, we thank you for all the teachers and the helpers and all that they do in uh, children's uh, zone. Uh, great to see you. I'm glad you're uh, joining us again. I'm doing a series. Uh, this is the second part of a, a three-part series, Doing Life Together. And today I, I want to focus on uh, doing life together, uh, but single. Uh, this has been a particularly uh, challenging uh, series, quite honestly, for me to uh, prepare because it's complex. Uh, when we think about our relationship with each other and doing life together and our relationship with God, uh, it's complex. Uh, There's so many different facets and so many different uh, ways that you can look at this. Uh, but uh, today I want to look at singleness. Uh, what, what does that mean? Uh, what does singleness mean uh, to each one of us? Uh, you might be married and thinking absolutely nothing. Uh, I disagree, and I'll explain that uh, in a moment. Uh, but the, the Apostle Paul uh, elevates two people groups. And uh, at first glance, it looks like there's a tension here. Uh, attention is a, a good way of putting uh, what might be, others would say, a contradiction. Uh, I prefer tension. Uh, because on the one hand, uh, the Apostle Paul is elevating marriage. Uh, he puts marriage on a very high, lofty sort of position. And yet, simultaneously, the Apostle Paul is elevating singleness. And he's saying, you know, singleness is really a, a blessed position. And so uh, I, I want to look at that today. Uh, let me just uh, read these two verses that uh, highlights this uh, uh, tension. In 1 Corinthians, the one I want to look at today, it says, But I wish uh, everyone was single, just as I am. Yet each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another. So I say to those who aren't married and to widows, it is better to stay unmarried, just as I am. Stay unmarried. And then the second uh, verse in uh, tension to that one would be Ephesians 5, 31, 32. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery. But it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. I mean, you just see, you know, Apostle Paul elevating that to uh, Christ and the church. And next week, I want to look at uh, unpacking this phrase where it says it's a mystery. Uh, what does Apostle Paul mean by that? And what is the mystery? And uh, we want to look at, uh, at, at marriage. But uh, today, uh, singleness and looking at singleness, the reason I think it impacts every one of us is because we just had our kids here. They're all single, obviously. Uh, and uh, they're moving to become teenagers. And uh, they all be single. And then as they meet their late teens and going to their 20s, 
there's a transition which takes place. Uh, many of them are thinking about marriage. And so we want to have uh, good advice for our kids. And uh, I don't know what advice you give your teenagers or how you guide them towards uh, living out their uh, singleness as teenagers in their 20s, uh, maybe even their 30s. Uh, uh, what advice do you give your kids? Or, or you might be a grandparent and uh, you're saying, okay, so how do I uh, you know, influence my grandkids or my kids? Uh, and yet uh, the Apostle Paul is also talking about widows. He said, well, they're single. And uh, he's encouraging them to stay single. So maybe you're a widow. Uh, or shockingly, maybe you've got parents. Uh, and uh, maybe one of your parents is actually uh, single. Uh, so you have a vested interest in singleness. And uh, what uh, the, the Bible says about it, or what God's plan uh, and good plan and exciting plan and fulfilling plan for single people are in whatever stage of life they might find themselves. Uh, you might actually be married, but you're actually single. Um, some of you are in a bad marriage, and it's like, okay, I, I, I feel like we're married, but I'm actually single. How do you cope with that? Uh, on the other hand, you might have a tremendous marriage, uh, but you're also single because you might have somebody that's in the military and they're deployed. Or uh, you might be married to somebody that has tremendous amount of travel and uh, you alone a lot. And so how do you deal with that? How do you uh, live out marriage li your married life with a big component of being single? Uh, it's uh, something I want to talk about. Uh, some people are just workaholics and you're living with one of those. And you find yourself uh, single more than you would like to. I was listening to a TED Talk. I don't know if you're familiar with TED Talks, those short 20-minute uh, uh, talks that are very popular for good reason. Uh, and this uh, TED Talk it was, it was titled Connected But Alone. And it was done by Sherry Turkle. She's a MIT uh, techie, and uh, she's very excited about technology. But uh, what's particularly interesting about her uh, background is she's also a psychologist, and so she's asking a different question. She's asking, uh, how can technology improve and help our lives? And uh, she did a, st uh, a study, uh, this TED Talk, uh, and it was focusing on texting. And uh, it, it was, I found it really fascinating. Uh, because on the one hand, uh, we've come to like, live with texting. I mean, I don't know how we could live without it. Uh, you know, texting is, is really an incredibly useful a tool. Uh, if you're at the airport and you're waiting for somebody, they can text you, oh, the plane landed. Uh, uh, if you're at the mall and you can't find somebody, you can text them and say, you know, where are you? Uh, if you've got a teenager and they're driving somewhere, they can text you and say, I made it safely. I mean, texting is just super helpful and, and super convenient. But uh, it's also uh, got a problematic side. Uh, in fact, just today in the, on the news, uh, they were talking about the problem with texting and driving. And uh, interestingly enough, Massachusetts is one of the best states. And when they asked the question, they found 30% of people are texting and driving. And we're one of the best. One of the worst states was 60%. So, uh, I mean, you got bad and terrible. Uh, and, uh, and honestly, uh, you know, I think our teens have seen us as adults texting and driving. 
and they just uh, more excited about texting than what we are. So now that they're driving, they just do it a whole lot more. Uh, so I think it was bad role modeling in, at part. But I mean, there's, a, there's challenges as we deal with uh, technology. Uh, one of the things that uh, uh, Sherry found that I found particularly interesting was when interviewing children, uh, she said uh, that children were commenting that they do not get their parents' full attention. Now, how's that for a reverse role? Uh, and the children were complaining. They say, I'm trying to talk to my parents, but they're texting. Or, or you know, we, we're trying to do like some, I'm trying to have a meaningful conversation, but, but my parents are like sort of half listening. And I'm like, oh, really? I, I thought it was just the reverse. But uh, apparently uh, kids are expressing this. Uh, another uh, particular downside uh, to texting or to uh, uh, being technology-driven uh, is what uh, uh, she also picked up where people or teenagers particularly are battling socially. They're not picking up the social skills that aren't really taught, but they kind of caught. And so one 18-year-old uh, said this. He said, um, someday, but not now, I want to learn to have a conversation. Okay, someday. I want to learn how to have a conversation. And uh, this isn't like totally abstract to me. I, I remember my daughter going out on a date, and then the guy texts her on the date, are we having a good time? And, and my daughter's like phone rings, she picks it up like, who's texting me? This is awkward. Did you send me that text? And the guy's like, can't look at her in the eyes. And then that date was done. Let me tell you, it was, it was over. Uh, but, you know, uh, kids are coming into uh, the work world, they're like with master's degrees and they're doing internships, but they don't have the social skills to pick up what's normal and, and how do you communicate. And, and uh, so now there's a whole new skill which the kids have developed. And maybe you've developed a skill. Maybe you haven't. Uh, and that is like texting and looking at the same time. So maybe some of you are texting right now. You know, I'm, I'm preaching and you're like, yeah, yeah, everything you say. You know, and it's like this phenomenon. It's like a... Things that would have been unheard of, like, you know, in the boardroom, uh, you would never have socially, you know, just a few years ago, be texting while in a board meeting. But now apparently you can, you know, uh, do two things at a time. Uh, so there's a, uh, there's a downside where uh, people are feeling lonely uh, and they are afraid of intimacy. Uh, they battling to enter into real life conversation. And uh, there's a fear of commitment. And uh, the other side of this was a study done with Facebook use, uh, finding that uh, people that have a high level of Facebook use uh, have a high level of depression. How's that for a great correlation? And then when pushed into it, they said, well, yeah, sure. I mean, all you're doing is looking at all your friends, having a wonderful time at these great places, and you're not. You're just like, I'm lonely. I'm sitting there. And you've got like hundreds of Facebook friends, but not really. You know, so mile wide and an inch deep. And it's like, okay, so, uh, you know, there, there are challenges. There are challenges. So uh, what I want uh, for you today is uh, to be able to navigate uh, singleness and those that are in singleness, uh, that this would be a rich and rewarding part of your life or to help others uh, get the most out of that stage of life when you find yourself uh, in singleness. Uh, that if you're following along in your bulletin insert, you'd have singleness uh, with satisfaction. 
uh, that your single lifestyle would be one that's rewarding. Uh, let me just uh, pray, and then uh, I'll read that again from uh, 1 Corinthians. Uh, Lord Jesus, I just pray that uh, today uh, you would uh, use me as I preach. Lord, each one of us is in a different place today. Lord, we all need to be encouraged. Uh, Lord, we all need to be uh, used by you to encourage others. And uh, so, Lord, I just pray you'd put power on this message. In your name, Jesus. Let me read that again from 1 Corinthians. Uh, this is chapter uh, 1 Corinthians 7, 7. But I wish everyone were single, just as I am. Yet each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another. And uh, the part I want to just focus on here is I wish everyone were single, just as I am. I wish everybody was single, just as I am. You know, when, when Paul penned this, this was like a radical, radical statement. I mean, we've kind of lost the, the radicalness of, of what Paul was saying. In fact, often, uh, you know, the Bible and what God has done through the Bible has so shaped society positively that uh, we forget what society was like before and how dramatic some of these statements were. It was totally uh, frowned upon to be in middle life uh, in Paul's day, in Jesus' day, and be single. Uh, there was something dramatically wrong with you. Uh, you know, that you wouldn't be married, that uh, you wouldn't be, uh, even if it was an arranged marriage, that, but you wouldn't be single. That was like, uh, that's really just like a huge problem. And not any of that, Paul is saying, it's great to be single. I just, I just wish all of you could be single in a culture where people are saying, this is like terrible. And, uh, you know, the Roman culture, uh, you know, sometimes we have such skewed uh, ideas of what society has been like before, but there, there was this huge emphasis to be married. But, uh, you know, the marriage was just to have kids. If you wanted to have sexual fulfillment, well, you don't do that in marriage. You do that outside. And uh, you just didn't want to be a single person. Uh, you know, uh, Paul was saying things that were, which were radical, uh, both for in terms of marriage and in terms of uh, singleness. So in that culture, uh, you know, we've come today, today where being single is certainly not a problem. Uh, it's well accepted. Uh, I think we're almost going in the other direction where being married is now sort of under pressure. There's sort of more emphasis to stay single or just live together than to be married. Uh, there's, there's pressure to make it professionally. And, and after you've made it professionally, then consider marriage. But until then, no. Or if you're seeking a partner, uh, many in their 20s would say, you know, I want the perfect uh, person. Uh, and I don't want that person to change me in any way. They must just like me the way I am. I don't want like a, a give and take uh, commitment. So we'll just live together. And then that way, I'm not obligated to change. I can just do what I want to do, and we can kind of, uh, you know, get the best of both worlds. And uh, I, I'm not so sure that that's working out that well. Uh, I think it's an experiment which has uh, plenty of downsides. I also think if you choose certain professions, uh, you are imposing singleness on yourself or on your 
if you are married, on your marriage. I mean, I was a public accountant. I can tell you from January the 15th until April the 15th, it is like you are single. I mean, every functional minute of the day you are working. Uh, as soon as you can get into the office until as late as you can leave, you're working. Uh, if you work for a top law firm, if you want to work, work in uh, uh, Wall Street, uh, if you want to do sales, there's a, a huge amount of travel, you are essentially uh, working as a single person and saying, I don't want marriage or I've got to delay marriage or your marriage is going to hinder uh, my professional career. Uh, there's a tension that you need to kind of think about and say, okay, am I willing to do this? And uh, it's more helpful to, you know, if you're going to be a public accountant, do it when you're younger, uh, early. Uh, don't, you know, try and uh, navigate all these uh, apprenticeship years as you get older. It just gets, it gets old. But uh, the next part of this verse is particularly interesting uh, to me because Paul says about this giftedness. He says, yet each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another. Well, firstly, it means each one of you has a gift because Paul's saying we all got a gift. But many are saying, oh, thank you, Paul. I don't want the gift of singleness. Uh, you know, give me other gifts, but not, not that one. I mean, that, like, that sounds painful. And yet Paul is saying it's a gift. Uh, what I think we've got to realize if you gifted with singleness, it doesn't mean to say that you're gifted to be uh, single and alone and now somehow you're gifted to deal with boredom or no relationships. Uh, giftedness in the Bible is always related to service. So uh, you, you're gifted so that you can serve. And uh, in Paul's case, it was pretty obvious. He was a missionary. He was going to all sorts of uh, places uh, that would welcome him and would not welcome him. Much like if you were a missionary called today to be a missionary in the Middle East. I would uh, highly recommend you a single if you're going to go anywhere where ISIS is operating. Uh, because to be married... And to have your spouse be in that area would be a, a, a tremendous a worry and a burden for your family and, uh, and kids. I mean, it's, it's obvious. And it would be particularly difficult to take your family and kids into a, a strong uh, Muslim area where ISIS is operating. I mean, it, it stands to reason. But if you're called as a single person, uh, that would be a pref preferable way. And, you know, Paul saw his giftedness. Uh, not only like God blessing me, I mean, God used him, obviously, to speak the word, preach the word, see lives transformed, uh, he saw miracles happen, he saw people embrace Christ. Uh, I mean, he's, you know, he just lived large when it came to uh, blessedness through the gospel. But he also had the gift to endure suffering and persecution and jail and torture and, you know, I mean, None of us want that part. Uh, you know, we just like want the good life, uh, not, not the hard life. And, and yet uh, singleness and serving uh, can be very rewarding. Uh, and even in our church, you know, we, we've got uh, some folks. Uh, I think of uh, Helen Bonet, for instance. Uh, she's single. Rachel Wilson, she's single. And they use their time and their talents uh, to serve. Uh, those of you that have been with our church for a little longer time would remember Mary Segulum. Uh Mary, you know, uh, served chair of the church as a volunteer. Uh, she prayed for people. She'd spend 40 hours a week. She came in on time every day, left 
on time every day, and she spent the whole day praying. Uh, you know, people would phone her and just set up appointments. And, and then on the weekend, she'd schedule time slots, which she'd pray with people the same time every weekend, every day. A huge commitment. Uh, and, you know, people were offering, Mary, Mary, will you marry me? And she said, no, thank you. Uh, she had more than uh, one request to be married. Uh, Mary, I can promise you this and this and this. Uh, no, thank you. Uh, because she saw her singleness as a gift to use uh, for the Lord. Uh, on the other end of the spectrum, Paul is saying, and widows, what about widows? I say to those who aren't married uh, and to widows, it's better to stay unmarried just as I am. You know, widows typically have two big concerns. Will I run out of, mar will I run out of money before I die? And will I be alone, uh, lonely? Like, will my family desert me? And, uh, and Paul is, is elevating uh, widows. He's saying, look, uh, firstly, if you're a believer, if you're a Christian and you take that seriously, uh, the Bible's encouragement is take care of your parents, take care of the widows uh, in your family first. And then uh, there's a second, uh, secondary layer of uh, taking care of widows, and that's the church, that we as a church should take care of the widows in the body. And we try and do that. Uh, but there's also a significant role that widows can play. Uh, you know, there was another study that was very interesting to me. Uh, have you ever noticed how like, old people just tell the same stories again and again and, and again? And, and you kind of like tune out and say, oh, yeah, I remember that. And then you find they're telling you it again. And they're very enthusiastic about telling you. And you're like, oh. they, they They did a study and they found out that for kids' development, uh, to reduce teenagers' anxiety, it was extremely helpful if they'd heard the stories of their parents and their grandparents of how they overcame difficult times. And, and, and teenagers that have been denied access to grandparents and hearing the same story again and again tend to be much more anxious. And, you know, like, like they consider suicide for reasons like we think that that's not such a big reason. Like, why are you so desperate? Because part of it is they haven't heard stories of how you can get through and how you can overcome and how there is life outside of the current hardship and difficulties. Widows have a role, a role to play. But I, my next point, if you're following the sermon outline here, would be singleness, but with marriage in mind. Uh, you know, the, for most people, the... Singleness in your early years, teenage 20s, is with a desire to be happily married. There, there's a sense we, most people really do desire to be happily married. Uh, and so how do you navigate that? What is uh, the way of getting that? You know, this is a complex uh, topic, and it's hard to just jump in and give a comprehensive thought. But let me just say this. There's a natural rhythm to life. Uh, it's much easier to jump in a stream, uh, be it floating or be in your canoe, and just kind of float down the river and enjoy the scenery as it goes. Uh, that's the normal and natural way to, to kind of have a good canoeing experience. But you could uh, paddle upstream. I mean, it's difficult, but you can do it. Or, or giving a different uh, word picture, you know, life has a certain rhythm to it, 
that if you go with it, it's like rubbing your hand down, uh, you know, a plank. If you go with the grain, it's really smooth. Now, you can rub your hand up the grain. I mean, you'll get splinters, and it's painful, but you can do it. Now, when it comes to the normal rhythm of life, it looks something like this. You go to high school. You graduate from high school. You go to university. You graduate from university. You get a career. You then get married. You then move in together and have sex and then have children. Now, you can reverse the order. You can do it the way you want to do it. All I'm telling you is you'll have splinters. It, it, it can be done. Uh, you can study later on your life, later in your life. It, you can do it. It's harder. Uh, you can have a, a kid as a single parent, as a teenager. Uh, life is going to be hard. It's just, it's, you know, or you can go with the natural rhythm of life. Uh, you know, the area that I'm, I know that I'm going to pick up the most um, friction with in saying that is saying, yeah, okay, I, I agree, but, you know, I think I should just move in together and at least we can have sex and delay marriage until we know each other. And, you know, I don't want to make a mistake and, uh, like my parents did. And, and, you know, part of last week's message was looking at the negative outcomes of the children uh, that, whose parents have been divorced. Now, I'd encourage you, you know, this series, if you didn't hear that message, listen to it online, listen and see. And the upshot of, one of the upshots of realizing that is people are reluctant to get married because they've seen the mess that their parents made. And so they adverse, there's an adverse re um, reaction to commitment. And uh, so say, okay, the well, way around it is we'll move in together. Now, I know statistically, and I can tell you the statistics, that if you want to have a long-term happy marriage, statistically speaking, moving in together will not help you. It will hinder you. It will make it worse. Now, people say, oh, yeah, but not in my case. You know, my case is different. It, well, you can always beat the odds. I agree. I mean, triple crown. I mean, just look at that. Uh, some horse beat the odds. But, you know, the chances of beating the odds uh, work against you. If you want to have things working in your favor, uh, I would strongly recommend not moving in uh, together. Uh, Tim Keller has a great quote, and uh, I recommend this book. If you're looking for a, a good book on this topic, Tim Keller's book says, The Meaning of Marriage. Facing the Complexities of Commitment with the Wisdom of God. Uh, good read. Now, here's a quote uh, from here. It's, you can't see it probably. It's too small. I'll read it to you. Many people are living single lives today, not in, conscious, not in the conscious lonely misery of wanting marriage too much, but rather in the largely unconscious lonely misery of wanting marriage too much. Too little, wanting marriage too little, or the fear of it. So out of the fear of marriage, there's a sense that they're living lonely, uh, miserable lives. Okay, so what am I recommending? It's easy to say what you're against, but what are you for? What are you recommending? Well, I would recommend you follow the natural order of things. Uh, I just think it, it's so much less complex. 
You know, invariably, when somebody's uh, life is in crisis and you're doing counseling with them or you're trying to help somebody, their lives are so complicated. I was like, well, how did you get into this mess? It's like so, I, I, you can't figure it up from down. It's like so complex. Well, one of the ways to prevent that is just doing the obvious and the simple and going with the flow of life and not having it be so complex. So follow the natural order of things. Uh, I'd also say be comfortable in your singleness. Uh, you know, there is a sense where we can and should be happy in our singleness. Uh, there's also a mindset for many that if I can just get married, my life will be complete, it'll be great, and, and you know, I, I know I've messed up in all these areas of my life, and I'm hurting, and I'm a, you know, hard individual to understand myself, and, but if I find somebody and I marry them, oh, it'll all be taken care of. Uh, you know, let me suggest that maybe what you're looking for is a savior. You know, it's not like a partner. Uh, it's not marriage. It's a savior that you need. You need to get sorted out with God and sort out your problems with God and get comfortable in your singleness. And then you're in great shape then to get married. Uh, you know, you can't expect your spouse to be your savior. Can your spouse just be your spouse? And can your savior be your savior? I mean, if you expect your spouse to be your savior, you, you, you're going to have a crisis. It's just, you're just going to. So get comfortable in your singleness. Develop your identity in Christ. Uh, grow in Christ. Uh, understand Christ. Be, uh, live for Christ. Have Christ permeate everything that you do in life, the way you think, the things you do, who you look at, what you look at, why you look at. You know, uh, develop your relationship with Christ. And then delay sex and living together until you're married. The other piece of advice which I'd highly recommend is before you get married, ask those that know you best what they think of the person you want to get married to. Now, look, if you live near your parents and near your grandparents, you're in good shape because you can ask your parents and your grandparents, what do you think of so-and-so I'm thinking about getting married? And uh, I'd highly recommend you get your parents' input, even though you might be cringing. On the other hand, uh, most of us, uh, you know, have a fractured uh, family structure. Your grandparents and your parents aren't around. And uh, then I would recommend that you ask your best friend. Ask your best friend, do you think I should get married to this person? You know, you'd be shocked uh, how many times uh, when people are asked that, they would say, Oh, no, oh, my friends told me this would be a nightmare. Uh, my parents were saying, no, but I just love this person. It's going to work. I know it's going to work. It's great. We love each other. And they get married anyway. Uh, no, and then it's a disaster. I mean, listen to your friends. Take some advice. I, I, I'd highly recommend it with anybody that you trust. Uh, marry somebody who's a believer. Uh, this is a big deal. Uh, you know, the Bible warns us, don't get unequally yoked. I mean, you say, no, but you know, my friend, I'll marry them. Uh, yeah, then you get married to that person, and the person says, every Sunday? We want to go, like, water skiing. We want to go camping. You're going to ruin the whole weekend because you want to go to church? Really? And you're like, yeah. And you say, who did I marry? And your spouse is saying, who did I marry? You know, and then it's like you finally resolve, okay, I'm going to come to church whenever, whether it be weekly, monthly, once a year, whatever you end up 
And then, you know, you really get radical about Christ and your spouse is, and you're going to do what with our money? Or more specific, what are you going to do with my money? Uh, you know, and there's this tension. And you want to go to what group? Uh, isn't Sunday enough? You know, and you say, well, I highly recommend uh, marrying uh, somebody that's a follower of Christ. Uh, and then I highly recommend being committed. Make the commitment. Marriage is a commitment. It, it takes work. Lastly, uh, and quickly, singleness and sexual attraction. Uh, you know, Paul says something which is often, I think, misconstrued. Uh, he says this in verse 9 of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. But if they can't control themselves, well, let me back up to verse 8. So I say to those who aren't married and to widows, it is better to stay unmarried just as I am. Verse 9. But if they can't control themselves, they should go ahead and marry. It is better to, uh, to marry than to burn with lust. It is better to marry than to burn with lust. And this is seen as a very negative thing. Well, you know what? I think it can be seen as a very positive thing. There's something really op obvious. People are sexually attracted to people. And if you try and do exactly what I've done, have a whole sermon which is intellectual, and you ignore the fact that people like just like are sexually attracted, you kind of just miss the point. You know, this, that's why this topic is so complex to deal with. You can say to people, here's all the right things to do. And they're like, uh-huh, uh-huh, but I just really love this person. I'm not going to marry them anyway. Why? Because I just really, we just like really, we connected, man. We soulmates. We got it all. Oh, really? Great. And, you know, some people do everything wrong and their marriage is great. Other people do everything right and their marriage is a disaster. You know, the, love is just so hard to intellectualize. Uh, it just is. And, 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 I, and I'm telling you this, physical attraction is part of the package. And uh, to your detriment, if you say, well, you know, I'm, I'm Christian, uh, this physical, you know, that's not a big deal. It's just spiritual attractiveness. Well, let me just say the, the normal, natural, created order of things is guys are attracted to beauty. I just like it is. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, beauty skin, skin deep. I, but it is the first attraction. Uh, now, to have lasting Proper attraction, I think there is a spiritual beauty. And if you radiate Christ, you will radiate peace and love and joy and the fruit of the Spirit. And that is very attractive. Uh, and we should all aim for that. But uh, I think we could also heed Paul's advice. You know, there is strong sexual attraction, obviously. Uh, and if you ignore it, you ignore it uh, to your peril. Uh, let me just say this in conclusion. It's one thing to uh, look at what our lives should be and ought to be and uh, what a perfect life is. But only Jesus lived a perfect life. Uh, that means by default, you and me and everybody else, we've messed up. And our lives are not perfect. And in some way, shape, or form, we don't meet the standard. And uh, it can be painful. The ramifications for our mistakes are huge. And they are long-lasting. And they are painful. But welcome to church. You, you know, we're not asking people at the door, hey, are you perfect? Have you followed the Bible? Oh, you can, you welcome in. You know, we are saying here, uh, we don't really care what your lifestyle has been. Welcome to church because we hope that Jesus is going to clean up your act. Yeah. 
And last week, you know, I was hitting hard on the ramifications of divorce. Many of us are victims of divorce or have divorced, and we feel bad. We feel guilty. We know we've made a mess of life. Thank you, Jesus, that you can bail us out and clean us up and help us out. You know, and as we take communion today, uh, think of it. Yes, Jesus, a single person. And he's, he's saying something significant. He's saying, my physical body, I'm, I'm giving as a gift to you. Uh, take my body. It, it was broken for you. There's hope for you. There's a sense that no matter how we mess up, we can come to Christ and say, Christ, please, will you clean me up? Can I follow your ways? Can you fill me with your Holy Spirit? Can you convict me when I'm doing the wrong thing? Can you give me the strength of character to say, yes, Jesus? And when I'm, I'm tempted in every which way, can I, can I be focused and say, Christ, will you strengthen me, help me to follow you, even if it, my passions are pulling me in every other direction? And Christ says, yes, 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 yes. And if you've messed up, you come back and say, I messed up. And Christ, I'll help you again. Are you ready this time? I mean, there's tremendous hope for the love that Christ has for us. And so uh, as we take communion, uh, Helen, are you going to, why don't we have the worship team come on up and somebody's going to organize these uh, communion stands. We have some stands at the back. We have some in the front. And uh, just come forward and, and again, just be mindful of, of what uh, Christ is doing. He said, I've given you my body. I've broken it. This is my body for you. My blood is poured out for you. Uh, and there's this whole sense of covering and sacrificial system that Jesus is saying, I'm making you right with the Lord. And so, again, today I would just encourage you. Uh, if you're feeling, uh, you know, a sense of, I need Jesus' help with relationship. Great, you're at the right place. Uh, Christ is with you. So uh, why don't you stand and we'll, um, we'll take, well, actually we'll take communion. Stand, come on up, let's have communion. And uh, then we'll do a, a closing song and we'll do some music as we uh, take communion. We've got gluten-free here. So, Jesus, I just thank you that you died on the cross for us. I thank you that we can come and take communion just as you invited us to. And, Lord, I just thank you that uh, you're offering us hope and peace in you. And, Lord, we come to you and ask you for your wisdom, your strength. Lord, not our ideas of how we should live. And not that we make them up as we go along. But, Lord, that we can follow your plan for our lives. In your name, Jesus, Lord, help us to instill it in our children. Lord, help us to see that your plan is one for fulfillment and enjoyment, that you died on the cross so that we could have peace and joy and relationship with you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Come on up with the family. If you like, when you have communion, go to the stations at the back. If you're behind the posts, uh, if you're new today, you're welcome to take communion, follow others, you uh, see what, what they do. If you don't know Christ personally, I would encourage you to just receive him. Say, Christ, I, I, I would like to know you, and then take communion.